Well, good morning. Okay, so how many Colts fans we got? How many Colts fans? All right. Okay, how many Saints fans? Yeah, yeah. How many don't care? Yeah. All right, yeah. Ever since my Chargers went out, I don't even care. I just like, whatever. You know, until next season. So, uh, hey, it's good to have you here. Uh, any of you here this week for the encounter service on Wednesday night? Yeah, what a time we had. Just it was amazing. If you couldn't be with us, tremendous time. Place was packed. Just a time to seek God together and worship and prayer and some vision for our future. And we're just excited about this. Like every three months or so, we're going to planning on doing one of these, a chance to get the whole church together and talk about where we're going, what God's doing, and to seek Him together. So I hope you can join us next time if you weren't able this time. Uh, for those of you who are brand new for the very first time, my name is Pastor Mike, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Rocky Peak. And we're just glad you're here. And so if you've uh, never been here before, a special welcome. And uh, I want to invite you to something about once or twice a month. Lynn and I have a dessert at our house on a Saturday evening's casual time just to get to know you, uh, get to know us, uh, share a little bit about the church, what God's doing here. And uh, if you're interested in that, uh, on the back of your little connect card in your program, write the word next step because it's kind of the next step you can take in terms of getting involved here and just kind of getting comfortable. And so uh, we'll, we'll contact you with the next one that's coming up in about a month. So um, we're going to go into our time of teaching today. You all ready to go? Great, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing here at our church, what you're doing in our lives. We're just excited about that. And, and God, we always want to go deeper. We want to follow you, uh, what it means to be a Christ follower, learn more. Today, Lord, talking about the, the coming of your spirit, I can't think of a better, more exciting thing to be talking about. And, and so I just pray that you would be with us every step of the way. Um, give me the words, strengthen my voice. Just help us to, to be together as one church in one place under your leadership at one time to hear from you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, our story starts today, uh, last April. Uh, it was a Thursday night, and uh, often on Thursday nights, Lynn and I go out together for dinner, sort of a little date night, dang. And in fact, last Thursday night, we were at Don Cuco's in Simi Valley, and it uh, came time to uh, pay the bill, and the waiter said, hey, someone paid it for you. They saw you over here, and they paid it for you. So all weekend long, I've been telling every service thank you, because I don't know who that was. So I just appreciate that. And uh, if any of, the, any of the others ever see us out, it doesn't even have to be a Thursday night. You feel so led. <laughs> Just, uh, hey, there's a blessing, right? There's a blessing in it. But uh, anyway, it was, uh, it was a Thursday night. It was last spring. And we were in uh, Daphne's in, in uh, Simi Valley. And it's a little Greek restaurant. And, and so I looked up across the room, and there was a couple of people having a conversation. And so I sat back and listened. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but they, I, I recognized one of the people were from Rocky Peak. And so uh, I, I went over. I didn't recognize the other person. And so they introduced me to her. And uh, first time we'd ever met. And I could tell the weight of the world was on her shoulders. I mean, she was just going through a hard time. As we talked, uh, began to find out a little of her story that she'd, she'd, uh, she'd lost her job about a year and a half before. Ever since that point, she's been uh, kind of working part-time here or there, picking up little odd jobs, but just trying to make ends meet. But her money was kind of running out. She's going to have to move in back with her mom. And it's just, a, it's just a hard time in her life, very difficult time. But she apparently had just started coming to Rocky Peak. And uh, so in the coming weeks, I began to see her here, notice her here. And uh, always looking just such a tough life, just hard, just in a bad place. And, and then that summer, she began to come to our first essentials class. Last summer, it's called Pursuing God 101. And I was really surprised that she was coming, but she, she was there every week. And, and as the summer went on, I began to watch her begin to change a little bit in front of my eyes. By the end of the summer, we did our partnership class, two-week class for new two partners at Rocky Peak, and she came to that, and I was really surprised. And, 
she was there, but then she, she was continuing to grow, and she joined a life group, and she began to go to One Passion, our singles ministry, and, and before my eyes, it was like this transformation was happening. In October, she was baptized. In the past, she had been, she'd grown up sort of Catholic, but kind of kicked the traces, high school, college, never gone back, it had been many, many years, and, and now God was working in her life in a powerful way. She got baptized in October. Well, just about two or three weeks ago, I got an email from her. She's kind of sharing her story, what God's done in her life. And uh, I've seen her recently, and just the joy on her face, she's beaming. I just, it's, almost, it's like a different person. And uh, so she, she emailed me about three weeks ago, and, and she says, uh, Mike, I've got a decision to make, I want your advice. And she begins to share kind of her spiritual journey that she's been on. But then the big decision she had to make was that um, she'd been offered a job back in the Midwest. And I, I told her, well, obviously it's not God's will. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you need to discover that for yourself. And so... Uh, so we, we began to process this together through, through emails, and, uh, and she shared how scary it was. Her family was out here. She'd lived here, you know, pretty much all her adult life. It's, it's to move back there, doesn't know anyone, not connected to any church. You know, she's just growing like a weed spiritually out here. And so she said, I guess what I'll do is I'll just go back and just kind of see if it's an open door or closed door. I don't know what else to do. You just kind of pay off me the job. I guess I'll take it. And she said, the most important thing is I just want to be obedient. The thing I'm learning in my life is just to be obedient, and I want to I please God more than anything else, and that's the thing, and so, so if he wants me to go, it's scary for me, but I'm going to trust him, I'm going to go, so I guess if it's open door, I'll go, if it's closed door, I don't, and I, I wrote back, and I said, you know, it's really, I love your heart in this, and, but I encourage you not just to go open door, closed door, but just, just to be listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit, like what God's saying to you, what's he putting on your heart, and she writes back, and she says, you know, that's a great reminder, because uh, you know, I, kind of, I know about the Father, I know about the Son, but I don't really know much about the Holy Spirit, and it's not really been a part of my life. And, and so, uh, thanks for the reminder. And so, like I say, about a week and a half ago, she flew back to the Midwest for four days of interviews. And they told her when she was, got there that she was her top applicant from across the nation, and, and it looked good, but she's going to go through these four days of interviews. And, and so then two days into the interviews, um, something happened that she never saw coming. Well, today we're, uh, we're, <laughs> we're in our series that we've been in now for the last uh, six months. And for those of you brand new, uh, as you can see, this, it's on the walls. It's called Reveal. And it's a study of the life and teaching of Jesus um, from the, through the eyes of one of his closest friends, closest companions, a man by the name of John who later wrote the life and teaching of Jesus called the Gospel of John, so New Testament. And so if you're, if you're in, uh, if you have your note sheet there, you can see in the front, we're actually in the third, uh, kind of the third mini-series in this overall series. This one's called The Spirit and the Assignment, and it goes from chapter 13 to chapter 17, five chapters. And uh, these, these chapters all take place the last night Jesus is with us, Ben, before he's arrested and taken into custody. Now, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that this is a time of crisis, Earlier in the night, Jesus has told them that he's leaving, and uh, they're, they're going to be on their own. And this just rocks their world. And, and so they're, they're, just, they're, they're still reeling from this. And now, Jesus is going to say today that I know I'm, even though I'm leaving, I'm sending someone to take my place to be like a, a mentor and a, and a guide to you. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story, or chapter 14 and verse 15. So if you have your Bibles, if you'd uh, open that up. John 14 and verse uh, 15. 
Now, if you're here last week, you remember that what Jesus said was that um, I'm leaving, but while I'm gone, you're going to do even more amazing things than I did, even more uh, greater things. And now he's going to begin to tell them how. And so he says in verse 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Now, he's going to say that three times today, that if you, if you love me, the way you can tell whether you love me is it's whether you obey me. And then he says, and, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And so I'm leaving, but if you love me, I'm going to send sort of a replacement for me. He's another counselor. Now, it's interesting, this word counselor is hard to translate into English. Um, the Greek word is the word parakletos. It's made up of two words. Kletos means called, para alongside of. So a parakletos is one who's called to come alongside of you, like to help you. It was often used as a court case, uh, like a, an attorney in court who's coming alongside of you to help you. It was used as a, like a key witness in your, in your case at court, someone called alongside to help. And... Uh, and so, but the word's hard to, to translate, and that's why if you have different versions, new, uh, kind of English versions, you'll find a wide variety of translations, like NIV here says uh, the counselor, but uh, different versions will say things like helper, um, advocate, um, friend, um, uh, comforter, or some of the other translations. But, but the key to, I think, understanding it is this little word, another. You see that there in 14 and verse uh, 16? And I will ask the Father, and he will give you what? Another counselor. So stop and think about who was their first counselor. Yes, Jesus. And, and so what he's saying is, I, I've been your counselor. I've been your leader. I've been your guide. I've been your teacher. I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving you by yourself. I'm, I'm sending a replacement, like a replacement Jesus, to, to be your leader guide. And, and his name is the Spirit of Truth. And so in verse uh, 17... He says, now the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. So they're not going to be aware of his presence, but you know him for he lives with you. He's been with you these last three years. You've seen his work through my life, but he will be what? He will be in you. So he's going to be coming closer. Now, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And so Jesus is leaving. He says, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come. Now, what's he mean? Uh, on one level, you, you say, well, I think what he means is that he's going to the cross. Three days later, he's going to be resurrected. They'll see him again. But there seems to be a deeper meaning here because what he says is, I won't leave you as orphans. And if he's going to come back in three days, but then he's leaving in a month and a half, they would still be orphans, wouldn't they? So what he seems to be saying is, I'm going to be coming to you through the coming of the Holy Spirit, that I'm going to be returning to you spiritually through the coming of the Spirit. And that will get more evident in just a second. So in verse 19, he says, Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Jesus is going to go to the cross, the resurrection, a whole new life. Because I live, you're going to live at a whole new level. And on that day, what day? The day that he uh, goes to the cross, the resurrection, the coming of the Spirit. And that new day, on that day you will realize that I am in my Father and that you are in me and, so, and I am in you. And so in this new day, after the death, the resurrection, the coming of Jesus, 
that there's going to be a new perception of spiritual reality. We're going to realize like never before who God is, who Jesus is, their connection, our connection with him, him and us, us and him, that we're all connected. Now, in verse 21, he goes back to what he said in verse 15. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. How do we know if we love him? If we obey him. And then he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him, and I will show myself to him. So twice in this passage, he said that if you love me, you'll obey me, and the Spirit will come, I will come, I'll show myself to you, this whole new level of relationship. Now, this is confusing to his men, because in their paradigm, when Messiah comes, he ushers in the golden age of Israel, uh, kick out the Romans, they become the center, centerpiece of the world, and uh, it's going to be a very public event. And yet what Jesus is saying is, the world is not going to see me, but, but you're going to see me. And it's like, wait a second, I thought Messiah was very public, so they're confused. So in 22, Judas says, uh, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, says, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the world? Like, I don't get this. And Jesus goes back to this core teaching. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and will make our home with him. So what he's saying is, if you love me, not only will the Spirit come, not only will I come through the Spirit, but the Father and the Son, we will come through the Spirit in this whole new relationship. We'll make our home with this person. We will move into their home. And so in verse 24, he who does not love me will not obey my teaching. So that's the flip side of the coin. If you love me, you'll obey me, but if you don't, you won't. These words that you hear, they're not my own. I'm not making this up. Uh, They belong to the Father who sent me. Now, all this I have spoken while I'm still with you. But the counselor, again, parakletos, same word, the parakletos, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. So he says, I'm giving you some instruction now, but after I leave, the Holy Spirit will come, and he will teach you all things. He'll be your guide. Uh, and, And also, he will remind you of everything I have said. So he says, uh, once he comes, he's going to take my teaching I've been giving the last three years. He's going to bring it back to your memory and help you understand what I was saying all along. I don't know if you, you remember this, but throughout the Gospel of John, there's been multiple times where Jesus will say or do something, and then John will make an editorial comment. He'll say, at the time, the disciples didn't understand this, but later they came to understand it. See, that was the role of the Holy Spirit after his death and resurrection that now they could understand more of what he meant and why he did what he did. Verse 27, now he talks about peace. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Remember, a couple weeks ago we talked about this passage in depth. And remember, uh, they're in the midst of a crisis, their world's falling apart. He says, I want to give you this gift of peace. I know it looks crazy, but I'm in this, trust me, I have a plan, so my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives, a circumstantial peace. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Kind of hang in there. Now he says he changes the subject again. You heard me say that I'm going away and that I'm coming back to you. Now if you love me, you'd be glad I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I am. So he's been telling them, I'm going away, I'm coming back, and they're all bummed out. I don't know if you've ever had this happen in your life. There's something that happens in your life that it's like you're happy for the other person, but you're bummed for yourself. Have you ever had that happen? 
Like, I remember, I was thinking this week, I was thinking of my life, my kids growing up. And I, one of the saddest days of my life was when my oldest daughter went to kindergarten. And uh, I remember her there in a little dress. And I'm like, life will never be the same. Uh, I'm losing my daughter, you know. And uh, I remember it was so sad. And then, and then it, it got worse. Because uh, now it came time for high school. And she'd been in a, in a private school up through eighth grade. But in high school, she, she transfers to this large, you know, public high school freshman year. And I remember there going in every night by her bed. Those first four nights was kind of a traumatic transfer for her. And, uh, and I just hated that. I was just like, this is, like, this is the worst. I'm really losing my daughter now, you know. And, and then I remember when she went to college. And it was horrible. We drove up to San Luis Obispo, dropped her off, drove all the way back to San Diego five hours. We get home. We're doing okay until we go into our room. Then we start bawling our eyes out, you know. Every little book, that's from sophomore year. That's from this, you know. It just was horrible. And, and, then, and then the worst was when she got married. <laughs> you know, and she, she gets in the back seat of this limo with this strange man. And, <laughs> and it's not me. You know, it should be me. And like I'm her father. And, and she gets in and, and she drives off. And I'm like, I'm looking at Lynn. Is this the saddest moment in our lives or what? <laughs> like you pour yourself into your kids and then they leave you. It's like, this is like a bad, I mean, like I cry through Father of the Bride. You know, it's like, this is horror. I hate that movie, you know. And yet at the, same, at the same point, at the same time, all along the way, kindergarten, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for them. I'm excited for my daughters. They're taking another step in their life, right? And so what Jesus is saying here is he says, hey, you know, I've told you I'm leaving, and you're all bummed out because like, you're losing me. I get that hey, but if you, were, if you really love me, you'd be excited for me because I get to go home. I get to go with me, my dad, and he's the greatest. When he says my father is greater than me, he's not saying that he's like, he's God and I'm not. We've already seen all through John, right, that Jesus is, is God in the flesh. But the father is always the leader in that relationship. All things flow from the father. And so uh, Jesus says, I get to go home and be with my dad. Like, how cool is that? If you love me, you'd be excited for me. And then he changed the subject again in verse 30. I will not speak with you much longer for the prince of this world, speaking of Satan, is coming. He knows that within hours, this, this party of Roman soldiers, Jewish leaders, Judas, they're coming to get him. His time's running out. And, of course, that party's led by Satan himself. And he says, um, but he has no hold on me. He's got nothing on me. Like what's about to happen It's not because he's in control. It's because I'm in control. But the world must learn that I love the Father. And then I will do exactly what my Father has commanded me. So Jesus has been saying all through, John, driving passion in my life is to please my Father. This is the ultimate thing he's asked me to do. And, and through this, the world's going to learn how much my, my passion in life is to please my Father. And then he says, come now, let us leave. So apparently at this point in the, the conversation, they're ready to leave the upper room and start moving towards the Garden of Gethsemane. We're not real clear what happens here because chapter 15, 16, and 17, there's no geographical markers until chapter 18. So we don't know whether they, they, they stayed longer and 15, 16, and 17 really took place in that upper room or whether that some of this conversation teaching took place along the way, which is highly likely uh, because this is the one night all year in the Jewish year where the temple, the gates are left open all night because it's Passover. 
And so some of his teaching in John 15, like we'll get to next week, I am the vine. Uh, there's, in, the, in the temple, there was just huge golden vines representing the nation of Israel. And it, it would be very apropos if he was teaching there at the temple. So it may have been, but we don't really know. Okay, so that's the passage. Uh, so Jesus is talking again about leaving. But of course, the big topic today is the coming of the Spirit. And that's what we want to spend our time unpacking. And I, honestly, I can't think of hardly anything more important to talk about in all the Bible. Because it's one of the greatest things that happens as a result of the coming of Jesus. So there in your note sheet, you've got a section called the Divine Mentor, the Coming of the Spirit. And here's what I want to do. I want to take a few minutes and, and, talk, and kind of unpack two major principles that flow out of this passage about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to get real practical at the end, briefly at the end, and just talk about so like, what does it take to experience the, the kind of the work of this divine mentor in our lives. So let's jump in. Number one, the first big picture principle that flows out of the passage <clears throat> is the obvious one that the Spirit has come. That through the coming of Jesus, he is now opening the doors to the coming of the Spirit. Now, often we don't realize what a big deal this was, but this is sort of the fulcrum of human history. This is a turning point in all of human history. You see, in the Old Testament, we see the work of the Holy Spirit, but it's very limited at times. Uh, if you read the Old Testament, you see the Holy Spirit comes upon certain people, but only certain people. Uh, certain key leaders, like certain kings or certain prophets, certain priests, very isolated kind of key leadership roles in Israel. The Holy Spirit doesn't come upon the whole nation of Israel, upon the whole people of God. But in the, uh, the, in the Old Testament, it predicted that the day would come when Messiah came, when he would usher in a whole new era of the human race. It was the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so with the coming of Jesus, we stand at the center point of all history, you know, the fulcrum of human history, uh, the tipping point. It's the place where now we're moving into a whole new era. Now, in the Old Testament, this had been predicted over and over again. And I want to give you just one example. There in your note sheet is from Ezekiel 36. And so the prophet Ezekiel is speaking for God here. And he says, God is speaking, and he says, I will give you a new heart, talking to the nation of Israel. Israel, I'll give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will remove from you this heart of stone, kind of a hard heart. Like, I don't know if you've ever gone through a time in your life when your life, your heart towards God was hard. It wasn't sensitive. You weren't open. But he said, I'm going to take away that heart of heart of stone, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, a tender heart, and I'll put my spirit in you. Notice that predicting the future, I'll put my spirit in you, and I will move you. It's kind of supernatural. I'm going to move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. In the Old Testament, God could come to the nation of Israel and say, this is the way, walk ye in it, and it will lead you to life. But they didn't have the power to, to follow. They didn't have the heart to follow. Um, they didn't have the desire to follow, and so they kept getting off track and getting messed up. And so God predicts a new day will come when the Holy Spirit will come, and I will come and live inside of you, and I will move you to do my will. I will change you at a heart level. I will give you a new heart, and I'll move you to do my will. And so throughout the Old Testament, there's prophecy after prophecy of the coming of the Spirit that will be poured out like rivers in a dry land. And it will be poured out on all flesh, men, women, old, young. The Spirit will be poured out. And so this was tied to the coming of the, of, 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 of the Messiah. 
And this is why in the Gospel of John, when Jesus first is first introduced, when John first introduces Jesus, he introduces him as the one who will baptize in the Spirit. He will usher in this, this, new, uh, this new era of the human race. And so in John chapter 1, John the, uh, the way John introduces Jesus is through the teaching of John the Baptist. And so there on your note sheet, you have this section in John 1 where John the Baptist is speaking, and this is the first time we meet Jesus in the Gospel of John. And, and John the Baptist says, I would not have known him, like I wouldn't have known who Jesus was uh, as the Messiah, except that the one who sent me to baptize with water, that's, that's God, that he's told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain. And remember when Jesus was baptized, remember the Spirit came down like a dove and remained. He says, that man will be the one who will what? What's it say? He will baptize with the Holy Spirit. In other words, he will initiate this whole new era in human history, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has been hinting at this, teaching on this. One of his most famous passages is John 7. And in John 7, it's there in your note sheet, you remember this. That, that Jesus was at, the, it was the fall, and Jesus was at the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles is when the nation of Israel would celebrate every fall how God provided for them in the wilderness wanderings and how he provided water from the rock miraculously. And so to reenact this, every day the priests would go down to the Pool of Siloam in Jerusalem with these golden pitchers. They would get water into the pitcher, and then they would lead a processional, like a parade, all the way back to the temple, where they would pour this water on top of the altar, reminding them both of how God had provided in the Old Testament for them this water in the wilderness, but also it was a prediction of the coming of the Spirit that would be poured out when Messiah comes. And so Jesus is there at this feast, and here's what he says. He says, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stands up and with a loud voice he says, if anyone is thirsty, like if anyone wants more out of life, you know, if you, if you want to be satisfied at the deepest level of the human heart, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, Old Testament, streams of living water will flow from within him. Now catch what it says, but this he, by this he meant what? The Spirit whom those who believed in him, catch us, were later to receive, not now, later, up to that time the Spirit had not yet been given and Je because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So until Jesus went to the cross and died for the sins of the human race that, and returned to his Father in glory, that's what opened the door for the coming of the Spirit to the human race because the, the sins of the, of, the, of the cosmos had been paid for, you see? And so, and so Jesus back in John 7 says the Spirit's coming. John says, but not yet. It's not yet ready. Okay, now fast forward. We're in John 14. Last night, Jesus is with his men. Within the next month and a half, he's going to be arrested, crucified, rise from the dead in three days. And then in a month and a half, the Holy Spirit's coming. And so he says, it's time to tell you about the coming of the Spirit. We are about to enter this new era in human history I'm leaving, but one's coming. He's going to take my place. He will do for you what I've been doing the last three years. He will guide you. He will lead you. He will empower you. He'll bring the presence of God in your life. He will be the divine mentor. He, he will be your life coach. 
And so in this passage, in the next couple of chapters, Jesus is going to talk a lot about the coming of the Holy Spirit. That's why this whole uh, mini-series is called The Spirit and the Assignment, because he's going to continue to come back to the topic of the Spirit coming, and then how what our assignment is while in his absence to continue his movement. So uh, today, if you look at verse 14, uh, chapter 14 and verse 26, we talk a little bit about the coming of the Spirit and what his, part of his assignment is part of his job description. So in 1426, he says, but the counselor, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will do two things. He will, first of all, teach you all things. So catch this, the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to be a spiritual teacher, a spiritual guide. I call him a life coach, a spiritual life coach, or a mentor. He comes alongside of us to teach us, here's how to follow Jesus. Here's what it means to be a Christ follower. Here's how life works. Here's who God is. Here's who you are. Here's, here's how the relationship works and so on. So that's his job. Now, of course, we experience this, don't we? Uh, if you're a, a Christ follower, you've experienced this. When you first came to Jesus, remember how before following Jesus looked ridiculous, and then all of a sudden it, it suddenly made sense. And, and it's like that was the Holy Spirit opening your eyes to spiritual truth. Uh, we come here in the weekend service. I have so many of you uh, talk to me and say, man, that message was just for me. It was like no one else was here. God was just speaking to me. And he, he was speaking to you. The Holy Spirit was taking the message and talking with you. You've had that experience of reading in your Bibles and, and having verses come alive or suddenly it making sense. You, you've been in the middle of worship and all of a sudden there's a phrase of a song comes alive and you sense God's showing you something he's teaching. Someone gives you wise counsel and you have an aha moment. And just, the Holy Spirit is our teacher, our guide. That's what he does. This is his role. And then he goes on and he says, in his second job, is that he will remind you of everything that I've said to you. And so the Holy Spirit, is, his job is to take the teaching of Jesus and he brings it back to our mind. He takes the teaching of the word and he brings it back at that moment we need it. Maybe it's a verse, maybe it's a phrase of a song, but he brings it back and applies it to our life. You see, that's his job. Now, now here's the thing I want you to catch. This is, this is the birthright of every Christ follower. This is not for certain Christ followers and not other Christ followers. This is what it means to be a Christian. It means that you have the Holy Spirit in your life to be your guide and teacher in life. But here's the sad thing. The sad thing, I think, is often in our life we don't experience him like he wants us to. And there's a couple reasons. And the first reason is ignorance, that we just don't know. We, we don't know there is a Holy Spirit. We don't know his role in our lives. We, we're not listening. We just know we've never been taught it. You know, it's never been modeled. You know, I started the day with the story of this, this woman in our church that I met last spring, and I've kind of watched her life transform and watched God working in her life. And we left her going back to the Midwest. And remember what she said is that, you know, if God opens the door, if he closes the door, and I said, well, that's great, but I'll be listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit. And she says, well, I don't really know uh, much about the Holy Spirit. I know the Father, I know the Son, but I don't know much about the Spirit. And so, but that's a great reminder. So here's what happened. She goes back there. She's two days into the interview. Now, they told her, that she's our top candidate. So it's looking good going in. But after two days, she's pretty convinced. By the end of two days, she can just tell it's not going well. For whatever reason, it's not going well. They go out to dinner that second day, and she can just tell she's not going to get this job. She's going to have two more days of interviews. They're going to be jumping through hoops. But she can tell this is not going well. And she's heartbroken. 
Yeah, she's heartbroken because initially she didn't want to go, but as she opened her heart, God, I'm willing to do anything, she began to warm up to the idea. And it's like, hey, a new job, a new, new future, uh, new people, new friends, this could be great. And so now she's getting excited about this. So after two days, I mean, this hits her heart. She goes back to her hotel room, and she's devastated. And she's sitting in her hotel room. And, and let me, I'm going to have her tell her story. This is from that, the email she sent me when she got back. So that night, after the dinner at which we had this discussion, I sat feeling dejected, a little emotional. As you know, this has been one long, hard road. I've been out for 18 months, actually two years. And I sat in a chair, and I'm, and I'm leaning, and I'm talking back to my, and I'm looking at the ceiling in her hotel room. She's talking to God. She says, tears started welling up. And I'm talking to myself and, and God and saying, oh, God, I'm not going to get this job, am I? And I swear, Mike, I heard a whisper-like kind of thing, answering back, going, no, and he calls her by name. No, you're not. But everything is going to be okay. Trust me. Mike, I actually sat up, and then I looked around the room. Like, whoa. Wait a minute. Who said that? You know what I mean? It, it was amazing. It's kind of freaky, a little scary. That was all there was to it. But I think it might have been my first experience of an actual verbal response from God, the Holy Spirit. When I wrote her this week, I said, uh, she just sent that to me this week. I said, hey, I'm teaching on the Holy Spirit. That it would be okay if I shared your story. She said, absolutely. Really cool thing is it happened to her again at Encounter this week. Second time God spoke to her. Second time. Now, when, when I talk about God speaking to us, I want to be very clear on this. I am not saying that the Holy Spirit will speak to all of us as Christ followers in exactly that way with that, exactly that clarity. One thing I've learned over my life is that God speaks to us in the way we hear him best, and he, it's different for every Christ follower. And he can speak in so many ways, can't he? We've talked about it. He speaks through a message. He speaks through, uh, he speaks through a time of prayer. He speaks through a verse. He speaks through a worship song. Through wise. God can speak in so many ways. I'm not saying it will always be like that. But here's what I am saying. If you're a Christ follower, this is your divine inheritance the moment you came to Jesus. We live in the age of the Spirit. We live on the right side of the cross. We live in the era, in the age of the Holy Spirit. And if you are a Christ follower, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and he wants to lead and guide and teach you. This is the, the, the right, the birthright of the Christ follower. Now, number two, the second principle is the Spirit comes to only one kind of person. And, it, and here it is. The Spirit comes to those who obey. Now, Jesus says this three times in this passage. I was thinking about this last night when I was teaching. I was thinking, I, I, don't, think, I, can't, I don't think there's any time in all the teaching of Jesus he ever says three times in one, one, he says one thing three times in one situation. This is, this is totally unique. Three times in this one conversation, he says that this era of the Spirit, the coming of the Spirit, it's for anyone in the human race, but it's for only those who will obey. Three times. And I want to point this out to you. 
Uh, look at your Bibles, 1415. He says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And then I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. Are you with me? If you, if you love me, then you'll obey me, and then I'll send this other counselor. First time he says it. Second time, verse 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, there you go, he's the one who loves me. And he, love, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him, and I will what? I'll show myself to him. So this is the second time. You love me, the way you can tell is by do you obey me, and then I'll send the Spirit. If you love me, you can tell, do you obey me, and I'll show myself to that person. Okay, third time, verse 22, Judas asks, Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to, to us and not the world? And Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he'll obey my teaching, my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Third time he says it. So first time, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you obey me, I'll send the Spirit. Second time, if you love me, you'll obey me, I will show myself. Third time, if you love me, you'll obey me, my Father and I will come and move into your life. Three times. Are you with me in this? I mean, can you get much clearer? Right? Are, are we following? Church, are we following this? It's like, can you get any clearer? I mean, it's like, it's like it's the drumbeat of this thing. Let me tell you a little bit. Okay, now if you obey, if you, okay, drumbeat, a little bit, drumbeat. It just keeps coming, it just comes back, you know, it just keeps bringing us back. Now, uh, the question is why? You know, why is obedience so important? <clears throat> and I think the answer is in terms of relationship. You know, often we see our relationship with God in terms of ritual. And when we do that, it always messes it up. So when you're confused, go back to relationship. Ask the question, right, so why is obedience so important? Well, when you look at it in terms of relationship, it begins to make perfect sense. Stop and think with me. The, uh, the most important thing God wants with, from us is our love, right? Jesus says most important commandment in all the Old Testament, we're going to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, which doesn't leave much room for anything else, right? We're going to love him passionately. It's going to be our first love, our top priority, uh, Okay, deepest passion. We're going to love him. Now, if, once you understand that that's what God's after in our life, this begins to make sense. Like, let's think of it in terms of a human relationship. The closest human relationship is marriage. This is the closest human relationship. It, I realize it can also be the worst at times. I mean, you know what I'm saying. But I was thinking, they're out there going like, not in my marriage. Well, whatever. But potentially, okay, potentially, the closest human relationship is marriage. And if you stop and think about it, think how a marriage starts. It starts with a man proposing to a woman, doesn't it? Or in my case, my wife proposed to me. But, you know, anyway, it's a, it's a different story for a different day. Anyway, it starts typically with a man proposing. And, and so how does this work? I mean, he gets down on his knee, and he says, you know, I love you, and he asks her to spend the rest of his life. And basically what he's saying is, out of all the women in the world, you are one that I love the most. And I want to give myself to you absolutely and exclusively for the rest of my life. I want to love you for the rest of my life, absolutely. That's what he's saying, right? 
Now, what's he going to do if she answers back, oh, I like you too? <laughs> That'd be awesome to be loved like that. That'd be great. Yeah, I'd love to marry you. But I'm going to need to date around a little bit, right? Because I, this whole ex- exclusivity thing, that's not the way I'm wired. But I would love to be married. I'd love to be loved like that. What's he going to do? He's going to get up from his knee, run for his life. So that was a bad decision. <laughs> well, I read that one wrong, right? Right, because what, what, what's marriage about? Marriage is about two people giving themselves to one another. I entrust myself to you. You entrust yourself to me. That's what makes a marriage. Now, if you stop and think about it, this is how God has represented his relationship with us in the Bible, right? One of the ways he represents the Old Testament, uh, the nation of Israel is the bride of God. The New Testament, the church is the bride of Christ. You know, Revelation 21, 22, the end of the world is the wedding feast of the Lamb, you see? And so God is representing this way. So here's what Jesus is saying. In a sense, he's proposing to us. He's saying, I want to come with my Father and the Spirit and move into your life. I've come to move in, to take over, to lead, to guide, to have this close relationship. But he says, I will only come in for those who love me. And he says, and the way that I can tell whether you truly love me is whether you obey me. You see, it's an issue of love. Here's the thing. I found in our relationship with God, it is easy to deceive ourselves. It is easy to think we love God when we really love something else more than God. Um, it's easy to say, oh, I, I love God. Well, why are you sleeping with your boyfriend? Well, it's just, it's not that I don't love God. It's just that, you know, well, I, I love God, but what, if, what if this career is just, I mean, I've got to do this for my career. But I, but I really love God, you see. Well, I love and, and so what happens is the reality is we're like ancient Israel. We have other gods in our life. We have other lovers in our life. We, we have other idols that we bow down to. And Jesus says, I'm not giving myself in this way unless you are serious about this relationship. And the way I can tell whether you're serious is by your obedience because it's so easy to deceive ourselves. Like, let me show you a passage. Turn to the right in your Bible, to 1 John chapter 2. It's at the the very back of your Bible. If you get to Revelation, go to the left. (coughs) 1 John chapter 2. John, you know, it's it's written by our same author, John. (coughs) And he talks about this phenomenon. Chapter 2 and verse 3. He says, um, we know, there are two, three, ready? We know that we've come to know him if we what? Obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, yeah, I'm close with God, I've got a relationship, but doesn't do what he commands is a a liar. And the truth is not in him. If anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete. There's a love relationship there. This is how we know if we are in him, Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And so as a human race, we can fool ourselves. Oh, I love God. And Jesus says, well, time out. Here's how we measure this. We measure it by obedience. Now, let me be clear here. I am not saying perfection. 
very important you catch this. Uh, as Christ followers, we are all messed up. Amen? Amen. Amen. And we will continue to follow Jesus. We're still going to be messed up. We're just going to be less messed up. So I'm not talking about being perfect. What I'm talking about is there are times in your life where God wants to take you to the next level. Here's your next step of obedience. The question is, do you follow when he shows you that? You see? What I'm asking is, are there any areas of known disobedience in your life where the Holy Spirit is asking you to do something? You're saying, no, I don't want to do that. I'm not asking if you're perfect. I'm just saying, are you walking this walk of obedience? You see? It's interesting because here's what I think often happens in our Christian life. When we first come to Jesus, we give our life to him, we start learning how to obey. The Holy Spirit comes in, we're excited about him, we start following, we start obeying. But, and, and we're excited, and we're just growing like crazy. But then somewhere along the line, we stop obeying. There's certain rooms in our house that he says, okay, let's go in and clean this one. We're like, no, I'd rather not. That one stays locked. Yeah, I don't want to clean that one. And so what happens is that, well, okay, let's clean this one. Well, no, that one's not, that's kind of awful. Let's just stay in the living room. I like what you did there, you know. And so what happens is progressively we start shutting the Holy Spirit off from areas of our life. And what happens is our love for Jesus begins to die. And our passion for the things of God begins to die. And we begin to lose our heart for his kingdom. And we begin to get very um, kind of lukewarm. Very kind of very, you know, just, yeah, we're, we're a Christian and we've, we just kind of lost the passion. And we think it's normal. Because we look around and we see other Christ followers that are not very passionate about following Christ. And it's like, yeah, I guess this is normal. When I first followed Jesus, I was passionate about him. But now, you know, I guess he just kind of loses it over time. I guess that's what happens. And what we don't realize is it's happened for a reason. It's happened because at a certain point we stopped following. We stopped obeying. And when we do that, we lose our connection. We lose our connection with the Holy Spirit. He's not going to be speaking, leading, guiding. We have, we have shut him out. Great example of this in the New Testament. There's a church in the book of Revelation called the Church of Laodicea. And, and they're a church that's become very lukewarm. And Jesus says, uh, because you're lukewarm, it's not normal. He says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And in fact, I want you to look what he says to them. Uh, chapter 3 of Revelation. So we're going to the right a little bit. Revelation 3, verse 20. We'll start at verse 19. He's already given them a pretty much of a tongue lashing at this point for their kind of mediocrity. And in verse 19, he says, those whom I love, I rebuke. And so he says, I love you. I love you, church. This is interesting because we often quote this passage in terms of non-Christians coming to Christ. The next verse, it's not. It's written to Christians, people who claim to be Christ followers. And he says in verse 19, those I love, I rebuke and discipline. So he says, I love you. He says, so be earnest and repent. Can I change your direction? Here I am. I stand at the, at the door of, of your church. I'm standing at the door of your life. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. You see what he's saying? He's saying you've lost the passion. You've lost your, the love. You, there's other idols in your life. And so... Uh, it's time, he says, we need to fix this thing. I'm knocking on the door of your life. I want to come back. I want to move in. I want to have dinner together, which was a sign of friendship in the ancient world. This sounds a lot like First John, I mean like John 14, doesn't it? My father and I will come and we'll move in. Same, same picture, same analogy. 
And so he says, I'm, I'm calling you back. So here's what I want you to catch. First principle, we live in the age of the Spirit. The Spirit has come. It's your birthright as a follower. But secondly, the key to experiencing the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is to be willing to obey. Because that is what shows our love. Anything less, we're fooling ourselves. You see? Okay, now, let's get real practical. In the time we have left, let's get real practical. And let's talk about, so where do we go from here? What are the next steps we take? We say, yeah, I want that kind of relationship with the Holy Spirit. Man, I want, to, I want that kind of uh, passion for God. I want to know Him in that way. Where do we go next? And there's a section there uh, on your note sheet. This is called, Where Do I Start? Three Simple Steps. So let's just run through this. First step. The first step is to ask. Like if, you, if you're here today and you say, I want that relationship with the Holy Spirit that Jesus talked about. I want to experience him as my leader, my teacher, my guide, what empowers me. Um, the first step is to ask. And this, this comes from Jesus himself. There in your note sheet from Luke 11. <clears throat> Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Count on it. Seek, and you will find. It's interesting because in the Greek, these verbs are in the present tense. So you could translate it, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. There's a sense of pursuing God until you get what you're asking for. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Count on it. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you fathers, if a son asks him for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the whom? The Holy Spirit to those who what? Who ask. Okay? And so if you want more of the Holy Spirit in your life, you want his leadership, you want his, first step, ask. Tell them you want it. You're not happy with what you have? Ask. Okay, number two. The second step is to obey. Now, this is a step we've talked about that Jesus went to over and over again. And, and here's what I've found is that often when we get serious with God and we want to experience the leading of the Spirit in our life, His presence, that when we ask Him to come, that often the Holy Spirit will put his finger on an area of our life that's keeping us from experiencing him. And these areas are often an idol in our life. It's an idol where we bow down to. An idol is anything that kind of takes the place of God in our life that we love more than anything else and that we believe will lead to happiness by serving it. That's what an idol is. And so in our life, God will often come and he will put his finger on an idol and say, okay, I heard your request. Here's what needs to change. Now catch this. God never does this for arbitrary reasons. He only identifies areas that are truly getting in the way of us becoming what we're supposed to be. And so, so he'll come. And so you, you ask, and often what happens is for the next week or two you ask him is that there comes an area, there's a relationship that he's been telling you forever needs to end, and you're not ending it. There's a new standard. In your life, he's calling you to keep. There's a, there's a, uh, a habit or an area of sin you've not been willing to give up. There is a, an air, a person you've been 
resisting, not wanting to forgive, and God's been calling you for a year. You need to forgive. There's an area of service. It's an area of giving. There's a priority. It could be a million things, but it's become an idol in your life. It's something you worship. It's something you bow down to. You give yourself to, and the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to put his finger on and say, this is it. And as you surrender that, what's going to happen is the, it's like a dam. Like the Holy Spirit's been dammed up in your life. And as you, as you obey, it's like the dam gets broken and the Holy Spirit begins to flow freely in your life. And you begin to sense his presence and his leading and his guidance. That's the second step is obey. Now, the third step is to wait. And here's what I mean by this. That sometimes when we take that step, you know, we ask and then God tells us what to do and we obey and it, and it all makes sense and it happens and it just all makes sense and you, you take the step of obedience and the Spirit's broken through and, and you begin to experience His leading and guiding in your life and it all works. But there are other times, and I think this is important, there are other times when you ask and, you, and, and, and nothing is said, like God doesn't speak. And you're kind of like, did, did you hear that, you know? God, I mean, like I, I asked for a deeper experience, and I'm not hearing anything back. It's like heaven's silent. And sometimes at those times, we're tempted to believe, you know, I must have messed up so badly in the past, God just doesn't want anything to do with me, you know? There's just something about me that ticks him off. Like, I'm just not one of those people. Like, some people get it, and some people don't, and I'm just not one of those people. And we're often tempted to that, but that is never the case. Can I tell you something? Whenever you ask for the Holy Spirit in your life, I, I promise you this, that request is duly noted and logged in in the courts of heaven. <laughs> uh, heaven never ignores that request. But what's often happening is that what you're asking for is something that is so big and God's doing something so profound in your life, it's not something that's going to change with an immediate act of obedience. That behind the scenes, God needs to be an orchestrating a whole chain of events and circumstances and teaching and so on to prepare you for what you just asked for. Sometimes you see this with kids. Sometimes kids ask you for something. They have no idea what they're asking for. And you want to give them, but you have to say, yeah, that's great, but you're not quite ready. There's some things that need to happen, you see. And in the same way, many times in our life when we ask God says, I get that, I hear that, and, the circum- and he begins working behind the scenes. And it might be some teaching he's going to bring into your life. It might be some circumstances, some crossroads, some decisions of surrender. It could be a mentor that's going to come into your life and help you find the next step. It could be a life group that's going to open up. It could be an essentials class that you take, and now I get it. It could be all kinds of things. But the point is, is that when we ask and God is silent, don't think he didn't hear you because what we just read, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Ask and you will receive. What he's telling us is God never ignores this. You see? So what do we do when we ask and he doesn't answer? We continue to seek. We continue to ask. We continue to knock. We continue to do the obvious things that we know he wants us to do, but we wait patiently. We wait and we trust that, okay, this, I've done everything I know what to do. He's not told me any more instructions. I am going to wait until the time is right. And I'll tell you, there have been times in my life where I've said, God, I want to go deeper, and I seek him, and right away, here's your next step. There's other times where I say, I want to go deeper, and it was actually years later. Okay, remember when you asked me that? 
You're now ready. It's all prepared, you know? And so part of following Jesus is learning to accept the level of relationship he's giving us right now. Like, do you think I'm happy with my relationship with Jesus all the time? I'm not. I often want more. I'm always asking him for more. But one of the lessons I've had to learn is sometimes I don't realize what I'm asking. He does. And I have to wait patiently and say, if this is the level you want me to experience you right now, and I'm being obedient to all you've asked me to do, then I have to trust that this is a season. It's a season of darkness. It's a season of lack of clarity. It's a season where you're of distance. But something is going on behind the scenes, and you're preparing me for exactly what I asked for. Does that make sense? And I think it's such an important principle of following Jesus that we will not always move to the next level right away, that sometimes it's a season. It's a season of desert. And in the desert, he's waiting for us to long for him more. It's turning up our intensity. It's creating a hunger. It's creating a passion. that I don't care what it takes. I'm willing to pay the price because I am getting so thirsty for him. You see? So he's preparing us for that coming of the Spirit in a new way in our life. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful to be together and to be studying these things and for the coming of the Spirit. We're so thankful that we are on the right side of the cross, that we don't have to wait to a distant day when the Messiah comes in the age of the Spirit and just say, wow, wish I could live then. We live now in the age of the Spirit when your Spirit's been poured out on all flesh, young, old, and there's nothing that we've done that could keep us from experiencing. There's nothing we've done in the past. There's nothing we've done, no matter how far away we've been from you, there's nothing that will keep us now because through the death and resurrection, you have paved the way for the coming of the Spirit in our lives. And so, Lord, today we just want to ask in a fresh way for you to come upon us for you to be released in our life. We want to experience you. We want to know you. If there's anything in our life that's stopping that from happening, we pray that this week and maybe next week, that the next couple of weeks, you will show us what that is as we seek you and that as we surrender those idols as we follow, that that dam will be broken. We will begin to grow and move with you in a whole new way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.